Well, good morning. Welcome to Center Church. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new, welcome. We are really, really glad that you're here. Thanks for joining us uh, on this Sunday. When you came in, there's a little pamphlet on your seat. So do me a favor, grab that, grab that, have that in your hand. Um, the, the, today's the first Sunday after Labor Day. And here's kind of what we all know. Labor Day sort of ends the summer, okay? So this is really like the first Sunday that you're back in your normal rhythms, that you're trying to figure out kids' sports schedules, that you're back at school, that you're sort of trying to figure out uh, your life. And so we wanted to give you on this first Sunday of kind of the new fall, we want to give you our ministry plan for 2023 and 2024. Okay, as a church, we believe both in praying and in planning, okay? It's kind of like two wings on an airplane. And so in August, we spent 21 days devoted to prayer, man, to drawing close to the Lord and asking him to move. And today we're kind of giving you our plan. So what do we plan to do over the next year? So if you open it and look on the inside, there on the left, there's a letter from me. I wanna go ahead and thank both of you that will read that. Thank you, thank you for both of you that will read that. That's great. Uh, But here's what my little letter to you says. It says that our church exists to help you fulfill your call. Ephesians 4.12 says that the church exists to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so what that means is we wanna come alongside you. We wanna help you figure out your unique gifts. We wanna help you develop and deploy those for God's mission here in our community, okay? Our, Our vision as a church is to see lives changed by the gospel. That's what we exist to do. How does that happen practically? Well, that happens practically as the gospel goes deeper in you and wider through you. That's how that vision becomes a reality. So on the left side here, you've got a list of important events coming up over the next year, all of which are designed to help the gospel go deeper in you and wider through you. Everything that we do is designed to help you be changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So. For you, your next step might be attending the weekender, okay? You might say, hey, I wanna get my family more connected here. We wanna belong to community. We wanna serve you using our gifts, great. We've got the weekender dates through June on this page so that you can get ahead of your calendar and get signed up. For others of you, you might say, man, I wanna go deeper in my faith. I'm, I'm feeling plateaued or I wanna, I wanna go deeper. And so for you, the next step is sign up for Rooted 2024. Man, that's a year-long discipleship program that we're launching this January. You can find that in the link under Discipleship Pathway. For many of us, I believe a next step is gonna be releasing a child from poverty in Jesus' name through our partnership with Compassion International. Okay, in two Sundays, we're doing something we've never done before that I'm really excited about. We're gonna spend an entire Sunday, Sunday, September 24th, talking about what Jesus has to say about caring for those in need, the holistic and gospel-centered approach of compassion to poverty relief, and then every single one of us is gonna have an opportunity that day, man, to sponsor a child through compassion to release a child from poverty in Jesus name. That's a practical way that the gospel can go wider through every single one of us on a single Sunday. So mark that on your calendar. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be a really, really powerful Sunday. Now, when it comes to vision, there's kind of two things. You need to know where are we headed, right? That's the inside. But then you need to know what is my role? Like, how do I get on board with what's going on here? Well, that's the back. So flip to the back. And this has got four commitments that we're asking you to make. Okay. So if you would say, hey, Center Church is my church. or I think Center Church is going to be my church. These are four commitments that our church, our pastors, our staff would ask you to make. And we believe that these will glorify God and will help you over the next year. Here's commitment number one. Would you commit to worshiping weekly with God's people? Would you commit to being here on Sunday? So here's the principle. If you're in town, would you be in church with us? Right, when we gather together, God does powerful things in us and among us that simply don't happen when we don't gather together. So would you just say, man, worshiping with my church family is gonna be an anchor in my calendar, okay? That's the priority of worship. Number two, would you commit to opening up your Bible and your life in community? Practically, that means would you find and belong to a group? 
Okay, and maybe for you, you tried and it didn't work or it was awkward and you need to try a different group. Fair enough. Maybe for you, it's okay, I need to go to the weekender and, and get my family in the process. Maybe it's I need to jump in with Center College. Whatever it is, would you prioritize community in your life over the next year? Here's number three, the third commitment. Would you give God your first and your best this year? Would you give him the first and best of your time, of your talent, and of your treasure? This is the value of stewardship. Guys, provision or vision requires provision. And the generosity of God's people is what fuels God's mission in the world. And so the mission of God will go as far in our church as our generosity will carry it. And so would you with me commit to giving God your first and your best in those three areas? And then the last, number four, would you commit to speaking and showing the good news of Jesus Christ to people around you? Man, would you be a link in God's redemptive plan to see people that are close to you but far from God be reconciled to Jesus Christ? Okay, we believe that if we collectively commit to these four priorities, that God is gonna do something really powerful in us and through us as a church over the next year, and I can't wait to see what he does. So put those uh, dates down in your calendar. I hope this is helpful so that you know where we're going over the next year. Man, would you just join me in praying? Ask God to bless this plan, and then we'll jump into our series in Joseph. Uh, Lord God, I just pray that over the next year, you would do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. I pray that you would do it in us, and I pray that you would do it through us, and that you do it for the sake of your glory in this community, God. And as we look at Joseph's life, Lord, would you give us eyes to see what you have for us to see? pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, you can meet me in Genesis chapter 41. We're in the fourth series, or the fourth week of a series looking at the life of Joseph. And the macro theme of the life of Joseph is the theme of providence. Okay, providence means that God is purposefully directing all of the events of our lives towards his purposes. And what we're gonna see in this chapter is how providence changes how you relate to authority. How providence changes how you relate to authority, how you relate to people in authority and how you relate to having authority. And that's relevant for all of us because every single one of us right now, no matter who you are, is simultaneously in authority and under authority at the same time. So you are under authority, you're under the authority of the government. You are under the authority of your parents if you're a child. You're under the authority of the board of directors, of your supervisor, of your HR department at work. If you're a student, you're under the authority of your professor. We, we, if, if you rent an apartment, you're under the authority of your landlord, right? We are always under the authority of someone in this life. And at the same time, we're all in authority of some things, right? You're in authority at least over yourself. But if you're a parent, you're in authority over your kids, if you're a coach, you're in authority over your players. If you're a supervisor, you're in authority over your employees. So if we're going to learn how to live well, we have to figure out how to relate to authority and how to use authority, right? And here's the problem. We've all seen authority abused, haven't we? We've all read the history books. We've all seen the news stories. Like we've seen the destructive force of sin on authority. And so oftentimes we're like, oh, that word scares me. I don't like it. I associate authority with abuse. Right, but what Genesis 41 does is Genesis 41 gives us a redeemed picture of authority, of what providence does to our use of authority and how it empowers us and changes how we relate to people in authority and how we use the authority that we've been given. So the first half of the chapter is about how Joseph relates to authority. The second half of the chapter is about how Joseph uses his authority. And by looking at his life, we're gonna learn how we can do it in ours as well. Okay, here's verse one. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. So if you're here last week, you know that Joseph was in prison unjustly. He interpreted the dream of Pharaoh's cupbearer and he said, when you're restored, remember me. And this is what the cupbearer did, forgot him. 
He forgot Joseph. He left Joseph in prison for two whole years. And in this chapter, after two whole years of waiting, probably three total years in prison, Joseph is going to be elevated to a position of authority in Pharaoh's court. And here's the deal. When Joseph is elevated, we get no indication that he's bitter. We get no indication that he's anger, angry or full of self-pity. All he is is full of wisdom and of humility and of discernment and of shrewdness. So here's what I take that to mean. Joseph did not waste his obscurity, he leveraged his obscurity. Rather than spending two years being angry at God and angry at the cupbearer and angry at his family of origin and angry at Potiphar and angry at Potiphar's wife and pitying himself, he leveraged his obscurity and said, this is where God has me according to his providence. So I'm gonna become the godliest, wisest, most responsible version of myself that I possibly can. What would it look like for you to leverage your obscurity rather than wasting it? Because some of you are very obscure right now. Welcome to Center Church. <laughs> you know that. You're like, I'm an entry-level employee. Like, I don't have any authority. I'm like a first-year student. Like, I'm a stay-at-home parent. Like, I just don't feel like I'm in a position of authority right now. Fantastic. How are you leveraging your obscurity? You see, we often focus on being someone. Man, I wanna be someone famous. I wanna be someone successful. I wanna be someone wealthy when we should be focusing on becoming someone. I wanna become someone responsible. I wanna become someone godly. I wanna become someone wise. If you leverage your obscurity for godliness, then when God, if and when God elevates you, you'll be ready for it. But if you waste your obscurity, then when God elevates you, you won't be ready for it. What we see in Joseph's life is he was in obscurity. He was having to trust the Lord, man, and he leveraged it for the development of his character. And that ends up bearing fruit in the long run. So Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, the Nile River, and behold, there come up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump. You gotta love plump cows, you know? And they fed in the reed grass, and behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, uh-oh, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. You don't want that. And Pharaoh awoke. So Pharaoh wakes up from having what was essentially a nightmare and he does what you and I would do. He was like, well, that was a weird dream, you know? And then he goes back to sleep, okay? Verse nine, I'm sorry, verse five. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them surrounded seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. So when Pharaoh wakes up from the second nightmare, he's, he's troubled, he's anxious, he's worried. Um, and there's two reasons for this. The first is that livestock and grain were the two main drivers of the Egyptian economy. So like, that's not a great thing to happen to you if you're the ruler of a country to be like, dream number one, all the cows die. Dream number two, all the grain dies. Or like, this is feeling specific, right? Like, so he's worried about like, what, what does this mean? And he had two dreams on the same night. They seem very similar. So he's troubled. He's, he's like, what's going on? And so he calls for all of his magicians and all of his wise men. He says, hey, can you interpret these dreams for me? And the wise men and the magicians are not able to help him. They're not able to relieve his troubled mind until the cupbearer remembers something. Verse nine, the chief cupbearer Cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. This is the guy that was in prison with Joseph. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night. He and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. 
This chapter of Genesis hinges on the cupbearer remembering and recommending Joseph to Pharaoh. Let me ask you a question. Why did it take him so long to remember? We don't know. We have no idea why it took so long for him to remember, but here's what we do know. The timing was providential. Think about this. Had the cupbearer kept his word and remembered Joseph two years earlier, Joseph would have been freed from prison and he would not have been available to interpret Pharaoh's dreams and he would not have become the second in command of all of Egypt. Guys, the, the good news of providence is this. You are never forgotten. You are always being prepared for something. You are never forgotten by God. He is always preparing you for his purposes. How easy would it have been for Joseph to think, I'm forgotten by God. I'm forgotten by the cupbearer. I'm forgotten by Potiphar. I'm forgotten by my dad. I'm forgotten by God. And yet none of that was true. He wasn't forgotten. He was being prepared for a particular moment when God was going to elevate him into a particular position of authority. So let me ask you, where do you need to trust God's timing in your life today? Where do you feel forgotten, but you're actually being prepared? Maybe it's in your singleness. Maybe you feel forgotten in your singleness, but God's actually preparing something in you and for you in your singleness. Man, maybe it's in your parenting. You just feel like nothing I'm doing is working. No one sees it. I'm just wasting my life investing in these children and God is preparing you and he's preparing them for something. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's some low level job that you're not that excited about, but you need something to pay the bills and it feels like I'm just wasting my life. And the truth is you're not wasting your life. God is preparing you for his purposes in that place. Joseph wasn't forgotten. He was being prepared. And the same thing is true in our lives today. Verse 14, then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. Keep in mind, Pharaoh is the most powerful man in the known world at this point. He is the definition of authority. And we're gonna get to see how Joseph related to authority and how we should relate to authority as well. And here's the first thing I want you to notice. Joseph didn't bow down to Pharaoh or hail Pharaoh as a god, as was typical in the Egyptian court. I mean, everyone in Egypt believed that Pharaoh was divine and they would hail him as such. We don't have any record of Joseph doing that. So he didn't worship Pharaoh, but at the same time, he did honor Pharaoh. Do you notice what the text says? He shaved himself and he changed his clothes. Now, why did he do that? Well, because Hebrews wore beards and, and dark curly hair. Right, but Egyptians, you've seen pictures of Pharaoh, no hair on the head, no hair on the face, and the goatee. You know what I'm talking about, the, the Pharaoh goatee? Egyptians shaved their face and their head. And so what did Joseph do? He demonstrated honor to Pharaoh by changing his appearance to be presentable before him. Right, we still do this today. So I remember when I asked Meredith's parents for her hand in marriage, like I got dressed up. Right, like I put on buttons on my shirt, I put on, like I iron things, right, why? I wanted to honor them, I wanted to, to honor their position in Meredith's life. You probably do this, you know, with a job interview, if you go to meet a big client, right, if, if you have some sort of important meeting, you're gonna kind of put yourself together and shave and take a shower and all these different things because you wanna honor the person that you're going to meet. Well, that is what Joseph is doing. And it leads to our first principle. Here, here's what it is. We shouldn't worship people in authority, but we should honor them. We shouldn't worship people in authority, but we should honor them. You see, Joseph is really just a living illustration of what the Bible says all over about authority, that as Christians, we should honor the people that are in authority over us. Romans 13.1 says this, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. What is that? That's providence. Why, why is Pharaoh in power? Because God providentially put him there. Ephesians 6 calls children to honor their parents. Why? Because providentially, God has given you the parents that you have, no matter how good or bad they are. And Ephesians 6 calls employees to honor their supervisors. 1 Timothy 5 calls younger people to honor older people and Christians generally to honor their pastors. 
Romans 12, 10 says simply this, outdo one another in showing honor. Here's the big idea. When you believe in providence, you recognize there's no authority except from God. There's no authority except from God, so you honor those in authority because God placed them there. In some sort of crazy way, you might not understand, God has placed the people that are in authority over you in authority over you. But what if I don't like their politics, Josh? But, but, but what if my supervisor's incompetent, Josh? But my parents are so old-fashioned. What if my pastor does something I don't like? Right, you still have to honor them. Here's what this means at the, at the street level. To speak, to, dis, to, to, to disrespect, denigrate, or to speak unkindly of someone who's in authority over you is sinful. It just is. It is absolutely sinful. And we want all the exceptions. We're like, unless, and it's like, there's no unless. That doesn't mean you have to like them. It doesn't mean you have to vote for them. It doesn't mean you have to agree with them or emulate them. But the scriptures call us to honor those who are in authority over us because they've been placed there providentially by the Lord. Do you think Pharaoh was a good guy? Do you think Joseph was filling out his ballot? He's like, I'd like to vote for Pharaoh. No, he's a terrible person, right? And yet we see Joseph honoring, not Pharaoh himself, but the position that God had put Pharaoh in. Guys, I don't know if you know this, there's a small thing coming up next fall called the presidential election. You ever heard about that, right? And here's what's gonna happen. Can I say what's gonna happen? I'm gonna have a prophetic moment here. Our society is going to catch on fire. For like six months, everyone's gonna be screaming at one another and everyone's gonna be saying ridiculous things about one another and everyone's gonna be eviscerating the candidate they don't like, ah, right? And that's what's gonna happen. You know what I would love? I would love it if people from the world came into our church and said, whoa, this is a group of people that honors one another. This is a group of people that has convictions and they vote you know, according to their convictions, but they don't feel the need to eviscerate people they disagree with. And they don't feel the need to slander and to disrespect and to denigrate people that they disagree with. Guys, in a society of contempt, we are, we are called to build a culture of honor, right? And can I just tell you, if, if you're in a workplace, you should not be the one talking trash about your boss. Man, if, if, you're, if you're in any sort of community, you should not be the one that's starting or joining in with all the gossip about, can you believe what he did? Can you believe what she did? If you're doing that, you're giving negative testimony to the, to the scriptures. Instead, you should be the person that is self-controlled, that doesn't worship the person in authority, but also does show honor. Right? That's a hard word, but when we believe that God has providentially put those people in the positions of authority, it helps us say, God, I maybe don't understand this. I maybe wouldn't have done it that way, but I believe that you are in control, and so I can honor this person, even if I don't agree with them. All right, verse 15. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there's no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me, God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So here's what's interesting. How easy would it have been for Joseph to not bring up God in this conversation, right? Pharaoh says, hey, I hear you can interpret dreams. And Pharaoh could be like, you're, you're right, I can, right? Like, like sure can, but he intentionally brings his faith in Yahweh to the forefront in that conversation. Not in a weird way, but in a public way. Here's the second thing that we learn. When relating to authority, we should be publicly Christian. When relating to authority, we should be publicly Christian. We often hide our faith around powerful people, around people in authority over us because, man, we wanna win their favor. And here's what we know intuitively, that to be adjacent to someone in authority, adjacent to somebody with power, adjacent to someone with influence puts us in the pathway of opportunity, right? And so, so what do we do? We sort of hide our faith. We sort of filter our faith. 
man, we, we say, well, like, you know, there's a separation of church and state, not, HR says I'm not allowed to do it or like whatever else. I don't wanna step on anybody's toes. And man, we're not publicly Christian around the people that have authority over us. And if anyone ever had an excuse to do that, it's Joseph, right? I mean, can we give him a pass? It's like he's currently a prisoner, right? And he's standing before Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the known world who has the power to free him. You would give him a pass if he was like, yep, sure, can interpret this dream for you. I got you, right? And yet he doesn't. Why in the world, or maybe how, how does Joseph have the courage to do that? Well, I think it's because he had stopped trusting in people and he had started trusting in providence. He had stopped trusting in people and he'd started trusting in providence. Think about it. He had been in good favor with three powerful people in his life. His dad, Jacob, Potiphar, the captain of the guard, and the cupbearer of Pharaoh. How'd that work out for him? All three powerful people that he was in good with failed him. I think Joseph is just at the point where he's like, I'm done trusting in people. I don't care if it's Pharaoh or my dad, I'm trusting in the Lord and I'm gonna publicly demonstrate my faith in him. Guys, the only way you'll find the courage to be publicly Christian is if you stop trusting in people and you start trusting in providence. As long as you trust in your HR department, you'll never be publicly Christian. As long as you trust in your friend group, as long as you trust in your parents, as long as you trust in anything other than the providence of God for your provision and for your joy and for your, your happiness and for your steadfastness, you won't have the courage to be publicly Christian because here's what we know, it might cost you something. And if you think your life is sustained by and your family is sustained by and your hope is sustained by being appreciated and applauded and accepted by the people of the world, you'll never have courage to be publicly Christian. But if like Joseph, you've resolved yourself to the fact that God is good and God is real and God is actively involved in your life and he's actively involved at your workplace and he has you there for a purpose, man, then you can find the courage. It'll put some steel in your spine and you'll be able to publicly say, man, I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not in a weird way, not in a disrespectful way, but in a public way. So here's my question. Who needs to know you're a Christian? Who doesn't know right now that you're a follower of Jesus that needs to know? And you're like, Josh, why'd you do that, right? Like, that's the whole point. Like, who doesn't know at work and they need to know? Who doesn't know in your family and they need to know? Who are you dating that needs to know, okay? Like, they need to know yesterday, okay? Tell them, right? The simple question is like, who do you need to be publicly Christian around? And the place you get the courage to do that is providence, is believing that no matter how this conversation goes, God's got me. He had Joseph and he has you. So Pharaoh repeats his dreams to, to Joseph. He says, these are the dreams that I had. And then we're gonna jump in at verse 29 when Joseph starts giving the interpretation. Okay, so zoom down to verse 29. He says this, there will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them, there will arise seven years of famine and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. So Joseph says, hey, the seven cows and the seven uh, you know, stalks of grain represent seven years. There's gonna be seven incredible years and then there's gonna be seven really bad years. The bad years will be so bad, you won't even remember the good years. Okay, so Joseph gives the interpretation of the dream to Pharaoh. And I want us to notice two things about how Joseph interacts with Pharaoh here. I wanna notice how respectful he is and also how honest he is. Respectful, he, he doesn't jeer at Pharaoh. He doesn't like stick it to him. Like, I can't, I can't wait till you get yours, right? Like I cannot wait until your corrupt empire gets yours. Seven years of famine are coming, right? And in, even in verse 33, he, he gives Pharaoh really good advice. He says, hey, here's what I would do if I were you based on this information. So he's very respectful towards Pharaoh, but don't miss how honest he is with Pharaoh. He says, Pharaoh, I gotta be honest with you, man. Seven great years followed by seven horrible ones. 
Can you imagine how hard that was to do? Anybody ever had to give bad news to your boss? Anybody? Okay, it's like no one likes giving bad news to their boss. That's why feedback gets filtered on the way up. Have you ever noticed that? That's why uh, actually owners of Chick-fil-A's, you maybe have noticed this, will work in the restaurant. That's because no one will actually tell them what's going on because they're afraid of being the bearer of bad news. They have to work in the restaurant to know what's going on. That, that's just what happens. It's very difficult to tell your boss bad news because you're like, ah, I don't want to like, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't, I don't want to be the, the, you know, the, the one that, that uh, faces his or her wrath. And yet we have Joseph just say, look, here's, here's the good news and here's the bad news. Again, why was Joseph able to do that? Man, because he trusted in the providence of God. He said, I'm not going to be dishonest with Pharaoh because he has power. Man, I'm not gonna filter what is true because Pharaoh has authority. I'm going to speak the truth to the man who's in power over me. Here's the principle that we should take away with this. We should speak respectfully, but also truthfully to those in authority. Respectfully, but also truthfully to those in authority. Uh, man, Christians are called to be people of truth because our God is a God of truth. Man, we're supposed to be the conscience of society. Man, that says, hey, this is not the way that the Lord has called us to go. If we follow the law of the Lord, we will flourish and we will experience the Lord's blessing. But if we depart from it, we're gonna experience cursing. I read the most interesting article from a New York Times writer a few years ago. He said, you know, at least the church used to tell us when we were wrong, now they never do. Here's a non-Christian guy, and he was like, you know, I didn't agree with the church, but at least they would tell me what was right and wrong. He's like, they don't even do that anymore. They just like take whatever we want them to say and make it sound kind of Christian and then invite us to come to their services. And I was like, well, that's a scathing rebuke, you know? It's like, here's a guy that's just seen it. It's like, man, that's not what the church is called to be. The church is called to be prophetic. The church is called to be a witness in society for the truthfulness of God's word, to do it respectfully, but to do it honestly. The only way that you're gonna be able to do that in your family the only way that you're gonna be able to do that at work, the only way that you're gonna be, do that, be able to do that in your friend group is if you trust in providence. Because friends, if you trust in people, you will never open your mouth. If you trust in circumstances, in money, in your HR department being happy with you, if you trust in the world, you're not gonna open your mouth and tell the truth to the world, but the truth is what the world needs. The truth is what the world needs. And so what we see in Joseph is he's just got courage in God's favor. He's got courage in God's providence. And so he's not afraid to speak the truth to the man in power over him. Let me ask you, who do you need to speak the truth to? Do you just need to call your mom on the phone and say, mom, this has got to end? Like, like your bitterness and and all the ways that you're cutting dad down around all the kids, like it's embarrassing. We have to follow up with our kids all the time about it. Like this has got to stop. Man, like, who do you need to talk to who's in your friend group? And it's be like, man, you are claiming that you're a follower of Jesus, but you are dishonoring him with the way that you're living right now. This relationship is not good for you. Man, the way that you're, you're spending your weekends is, is not good for you. It's dishonoring God. Man, it's, it's, gonna, it's gonna end in a train wreck. Man, is there somebody at work that you just need to go to and be like, hey, I just gotta be honest with you. The way that you gossip is not helpful. Like the way that you complain about things is not helpful. We gotta be in this thing together. Man, is there someone that you need to be truthful to? On the flip side, is there, is there someone you need to be more respectful towards, right? Uh, it's just worth knowing that it does not glorify God to be a jerk, okay? Like it's just, I don't have a Bible verse for that. I could probably come up with one, right? It's just like, sometimes Christians are like, I stand for truth. And it's like, no man, you're a jerk. Like, like the reason no one likes you is not because of the Bible, it's because of your personality, okay? So uh, keep the Bible, work on your personality, all right? All right, so when you trust in providence, it emboldens you to be able to play the prophetic role in, in your areas of influence that God has for his people to play. So we should speak respectfully and truthfully to those that are in power 
over us. All right, here's verse 33. Now, therefore, this is uh, Joseph talking to Pharaoh. Let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. So he says, you need a leader. And he says, let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. Skip down to verse 36. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are, incur that are to occur in the land so that the land may not perish through the famine. All right, here's what Joseph says. Look, man, you need a leader and you need a plan. You need to put somebody in charge who comes up with an administration that saves 20% of the grain during the good years so that when everything dies, you have food. This is a good plan. Here's what I love what Joseph did. Joseph did not just tell Pharaoh, here's what your dream means. He also told Pharaoh, this is what you should do based on what it means. Okay, he not only interpreted God's word, but he applied God's word. Honestly, this is where Christians often fall down. This is where churches often fall down. This is sometimes where I fall down. It's like, we're good at getting up and being like, let me tell you the Greek and Hebrew words and let me explain to you the biblical theology and here's what it means, go and be blessed. And you're like, what do I do with this at my job tomorrow? <laughs> you're like, ah, great, I know what it means. I need you to tell me what to do with it, right? What I love about Joseph is he simply says to Pharaoh, like, hey, here's what it means and here's what I think you should do. You don't have to do this, but I think you should. Man, that's what I try to do as a pastor, as a preacher. I try to not just explain to you, here's what the Bible means, but also, man, here's what you do with it because the Bible is a lot like paint. It only changes thing when applied, right? You gotta like actually take the paint out of the can and put it on the walls if you wanna change the room. You gotta take what the Bible means and apply it to your life if it's gonna change things in your life. And I think the principle that we see here is that authority is not the same thing as wisdom, right? Pharaoh had lots of authority, but he didn't have the wisdom of God. Same thing is true for people that you interact with. Right? Just because somebody has authority doesn't mean they necessarily have wisdom. It doesn't mean that they're beyond God's word. Right? Every once in a while, you interact with someone who is wildly successful in one area of their life and very underdeveloped in another area of their life. So let's say somebody's in your MC or you interact with somebody in your life that you know, makes more money than you and is further ahead than you and has a bigger title than you. Don't assume that God's word has nothing for them. In fact, assume like, no, I think God's word does have something for you because God's word applies to all people in all places, regardless of how much authority they do or don't have. If the word of God applied to Pharaoh, the word of God applies to the people in authority in our lives. Verse 37, this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? It's fascinating, think about this. The person in authority over Joseph could sense the spirit of God within Joseph. The person in authority over Joseph could sense the spirit of God in Joseph. Can the people in authority over you sense the spirit of God within you? That's a searching question, isn't it? I hope you have career goals. You probably do, and they're good. Like, man, I wanna achieve this status by age 40. I wanna make this much money by age 50. You know, that's great. That's fine. Um, I would add to your list of career goals. I wanna be the person who everyone calls for help. I wanna be the person that others can sense the spirit of God in. Because if you're the person at your school or you're the person in your business, or you're the person in your neighborhood or you're the person in your you know, whatever organization that people are just like, my life fell apart, I'm calling him. My life fell apart, I'm calling her. My life, apart, my life fell apart, I bet that family can help. Congratulations, people see the spirit of God in you. What I love about Joseph is that his Faith in God's providence was evidence to Pharaoh. And here's what's amazing. Think about this. Pharaoh thought he was God. Think about how hard that is for Joseph to be like, uh, no, actually there is a real God, it's not you, and he can give the interpretation. This is what's fascinating. It was, it was Joseph's confidence in providence that allowed him to be a powerful witness to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said, He's got something that I don't have. I'm supposed to be a God, but I don't have any idea what's going on. Here's this Hebrew 
and yet he can tell me what's gonna happen, maybe, that, maybe he knows the real God, right? Sometimes it's, it's the spirit of God within us that plants questions in the minds and in the hearts of the people in authority over us, right? So it's a good question to ask. Would the people in authority over me say, I sense the spirit of God in me? Verse 39, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there's none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. So this is the moment when Joseph goes from the pit to the palace, from being under authority to being in authority. And in verses 42 through 45, he gets all the, the signs and symbols and trappings of power. So he gets a signet ring. That meant he could sign official government documents. He got fine linen clothing that set him apart as a ruler. He got his very own chariot to roll in. Okay, that's pretty cool, right? He got his own chariot to use. And then in verse 45, we're told he marries a woman named Asenath, who is the daughter of a very important Egyptian family. So by verse 46, I mean, he is in the corridors of power in Egyptian society. He went from being under authority and now he is in an enormous amount of authority. So let's see how he uses the authority that he receives. Verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. And the verse 47 through 49 tell us this, that he went throughout the land and he set up store cities all across the land that he got to work, that he interviewed talent, that he wrote job descriptions, that he set up administrations, that he worked with local leadership and said, okay, this is where the site's gonna be in this city and you need to make sure you go around and take 20% of the harvest and you need to bring it in and don't let anybody talk back to you because we're gonna need it in six years. It says he went all over the land of Egypt. The emphasis is that he was a hands-on leader and he was a remarkable administrator that he imaged God by bringing order out of chaos for the good of other people. He didn't, he didn't hang out in the palace enjoying his affluence. He went out over the land leveraging his influence, right? And here's the principle that we learn from Joseph. When you are in authority, when you are in authority, you shouldn't abuse it. You shouldn't abdicate it. You should leverage it. You shouldn't abuse your authority. You shouldn't abdicate your authority. You should leverage your authority. You see, when we get authority, we tend to do one of two things. One is we tend to abuse it. We use it selfishly. We, we enjoy all the perks. We, 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 you know, we, we kind of shirk the responsibility. We just make our lives easier with our authority. That's to abuse authority. Or on the flip side of that, we abdicate our authority. And whether it's because we're afraid of failure or because we don't want to be criticized, we're like, ah, I, don't, I don't really want to use this authority. We don't see Joseph doing either of those things. As soon as he gets authority, he uses it well. Why? Because he believes in providence. Because here's what Joseph knew. God wanted me to have this authority for a reason. Can I tell you something? God wants you to have authority for a reason. Whatever authority he's currently giving you, he's giving you for a purpose and he wants you to leverage it. He doesn't want you to abuse it selfishly, but he doesn't want you to abdicate it. He wants you to leverage it. So here's what this means. If you're currently using your authority selfishly, if you're abusing your authority, then you, you need to stop. It's not yours, it's God's authority and you'll have to answer to him for how you used it. But in a church like ours, I don't think we're as prone to abuse authority. I think we're more prone to abdicate authority. Why is that? Well, we've seen authority misused, right? We've seen authority abused. And so we're like, ah, I don't really want to be an authority. I don't really wanna be the leader here. Can we just be collaborative? Can it just be a flat org chart? Like, I don't wanna like step into what I'm called to do. Maybe I've never seen authority used well. Maybe I'm afraid that I'm gonna fail. Maybe I'm afraid if I use my authority, people are gonna criticize me. Okay, pause. 
Joseph's plan was to increase taxes to 20%. Do you think he was real popular in Egypt? No, like everybody's, who's this foreigner that's taking all of our food, right? They only saw the wisdom of it seven years in. So here's, here's what I would say, guys. Whatever authority you have has been given to you by God to be used. If, if, if you have a position in a company, God gave it to you. If you have a group of friends in college, God gave them to you. If you have players that you coach, God has given them to you. How are you leveraging your authority for God's glory and his purposes? Here's what it means. Some of you need to become as successful as you possibly can, and you need to leverage the wealth and the influence and the connections that God gives you for his kingdom purposes. Parents, you have authority over your children. You need to start using it. Healthy homes are always a combination of authority and affection. Authority without affection is domineering. Affection without authority is chaos. And all the parents said, amen, okay. <laughs> right, but can I just be really honest? Parents are afraid to use their authority right now. Maybe because you had parents who only had authority, and no, not affection, but I'm telling you, it's no good for your kids to only have affection and not authority. Do you know that God rules your kids with both authority and affection? You know that God rules us with both authority and affection? We need both. So if you're a parent, you need to lean in. Man, your children's development and their understanding of who God is and what they'll be in the future hangs in the balance of how you leverage your God-given authority. Look, we've got small business owners in our church, and I love you guys. I want you to grow your business and strengthen your business, and I want you to use your business for God's glory. Here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to trust in the changing winds of our society. Don't trust in the changing winds of our society. Trust in providence. Do good work, work hard, leverage your influence for the kingdom of God. Look, if you're involved in a school, get involved in the PTA. If your kids play sports or do activities, get involved in those organizations and shape them towards God's glory. Use your influence for good. One of the reasons that our society has become so much less Christian over the last hundred years is, is that some Christians have abused their authority and a whole bunch of other Christians have abdicated it. And they've retreated from the public square and they've been like, ah, oh, I don't wanna get criticized and I'd rather be liked on Twitter than make a difference with my life. And it's like, guys, to be liked by everyone is a horrible purpose in life. It's horrible, right? But to make a difference and to leverage your life for the kingdom of God and to leave this world and our community a little bit better because you were a part of it, man, that's a purpose in life. And if you trust in providence, it's safe. It's safe, because you know what it means? It means, business owner, that if you do a little bit less profit next year because of some stand or because of some policy or because of something you won't do or because of something that you did do, praise God, he's got you, right? If, if, you, if, you get, if, you, if you're no longer in the mom group text and you don't get invited to do all the things, it's like, praise God, you're a witness for the king. When you trust in providence, it enables you to exert the influence that God has designed you to exert. And it reminds you that the influence isn't yours, it's his to be used for his purposes. Here's what Joseph shows us, guys. Don't abuse your authority, but don't abdicate your authority. Leverage your authority for God's purposes in the world. Verse 50, before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. This is really interesting. Joseph gave his sons Jewish names. Do you know that Pharaoh had given Joseph a, an Egyptian name? He was like, hey man, let's get you a different name so you fit in. And Joseph was like, no, I'm gonna go by Joseph. And he's in power, he's in the corridors of Egyptian power. And it's like, all right, man, like name your kids Egyptian names. It'll be less awkward at school, you know? <laughs> 
And he's like, no, I'm gonna name them Jewish names. And here's what I love. He names his children according to the attributes of God that he's seen at work in his life. What a powerful thing to do. He named his first son, I forget. He said, because God has healed me of my wounds. God has caused me to forget all of the hurt and all of the pain that was done to me by my family. God's healed me, I forget. And he named his second son, Fruitful. He says, not only has God healed me and caused me to forget all my pain, he's made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Here's what we, here's what we learn from Joseph. The more authority he gained, the more vibrant his relationship with God became. The more authority he gained, the more vibrant his relationship with God became. And here's what that teaches us, guys. The more authority you have, the more vibrant your relationship with God needs to be. The more authority you have, the more vibrant your relationship with God needs to be. And unfortunately, the opposite is often what happens. And you've seen this. Some politician starts off very public about their faith until they get a little more influence and then it gets watered down. You've seen this, some artist or some musician or some band is like a Christian band until they have one hit and then they're not singing about Jesus anymore. And you're like, is this about Jesus or is this about a girl? I'm not sure now, you know? And they're like Christian-ish at that point, right? You see this in athletes, like in college, they're like super sold out for the Lord and they're always, you know, like sharing their testimony at FCA events. And then they get to the, they get to the professionals and their marketing manager's like, hey, if you do that, like we're not gonna get the deal with Nike, you know, the whole thing. And you just never hear about it anymore. Man, unfortunately, the tendency of human beings is as we get authority is to become, is to feel more self-sufficient and to forget the Lord. But what we see in Joseph is he, as he gained more authority, he had the wisdom to say, I need the Lord more than ever because I need wisdom and I need power and I need courage to do these things that he has called me to do. I don't think, I don't think people always intentionally forsake their faith when they gain authority and influence. I think it's just the pressure. I think it's like the time constraints and the pressure and all the criticism and all the what if and all the things I could lose now that I didn't have to lose before. But here's the thing, man, if you haven't developed spiritual depth before you get authority, you're not likely to develop spiritual depth once you have authority. Maybe, but like that's why you need to leverage your obscurity. Joseph developed his spiritual fortitude while he was in prison and he had it with him when he was in the palace. So Joseph is simply an inspiring example that it is possible to be a person of great influence and great power and great wealth and a person of great spiritual depth. And I actually heard a story recently that was so encouraging to me that is like a modern day version of Joseph. So um, to be a US Senator is a big deal, right? Like there's only a hundred of them and it's like one step below the president, like pretty big deal. So if we had a US Senator at our church, that'd be pretty cool. And like, we'd probably give him a pass, right? It'd be like, regular attendance, serving, belonging to a group, we'd be like, don't worry about it. You've got bigger fish to fry, right? Like we'd be like, you're busy, go influence the kingdom from Washington, D.C., right? Um, well, here's a fascinating thing. I have a friend who pastors a U.S. senator. Isn't that interesting? And I thought it was fascinating. So I, I was like, hey man, what's that like? I was like, what's, what's his involvement like? And I was expecting he was gonna say, oh, well, you know, he's busy. He's there like every other month or something. And it was fascinating. He said, oh, he's there like every Sunday. He serves on their prayer team. That's, that's varsity. He serves on their prayer team and his family hosts a group at their house. This is amazing. On Sunday nights so that he can be in DC on Monday morning. Guys, that's a man who understands that the more authority you have, the more vibrant your relationship with Christ needs to be. And he's like, if I'm gonna make it in, in, among that pack of wolves that is Washington DC, man, I need the Lord. And so as a quick aside, if a US Senator, a sitting US Senator, can find a way to prioritize attending church and serving and belonging to a group. Do you figure you're too busy too? 
right? Just worth food for thought, right? Like, are you too busy? Probably not, right? It's probably just a matter of prioritization. Um, man, so the more authority that we receive, man, the, the more that we need to lean into our relationship with God. Our last thing, verse 53. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. Jump down to verse 56. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. The famine came, but because Joseph had leveraged his influence, there was food to eat. Verse 57 says that Joseph's shrewd leadership not only saved the Egyptians, but provided food for all the earth, which we'll learn in the next chapter included his brothers who sold him into slavery. So here's the question I want you to ask. What would have happened if Joseph abdicated his authority? What if he wouldn't have used it? Egypt would have starved, his family would have starved, and the flame of messianic hope, which was sustained in the line of Jacob, would have been snuffed out. A whole lot depended on Joseph's right use of authority. What might depend on your right use of authority? What might depend on your right use of authority? Maybe your kid's faith? Maybe the, the culture of your business? And maybe, maybe God wants to work through you and your witness, man, to, to replace generational cursing with generational blessing, but it's gonna take you being a public Christian for it to happen. Maybe God wants to work through you to, to shape your neighborhood. Maybe God wants to work through you to change our, our society. Maybe God wants to work through you to change some institution that you're a part of, but it's gonna require you taking on the mantle of authority that God's given you and leveraging it rather than abdicating it. Now, what might, what might hang in the balance of your right use of authority? I don't know. For Joseph, it was a lot. And I think for us, it is as well. Guys, nothing reveals our functional view of God like how we relate to authority. Because when we relate to authority and we're, and we're, we're scared and we're filtering and we're, and, we're, and we're shaping and we're, and we're always trying to like look good around authority, it just shows that God is very small and the authorities in our life are very, very big. When we abdicate our authority, then it just shows that we don't really think God has given this to us as a stewardship. We really think it belongs to us and we can do what we want with it. But man, when we see God clearly, it changes how we use authority. Joseph knew that Yahweh possessed ultimate authority, so he didn't pander to Pharaoh's authority. If you pander to the Pharaohs in your life, it's probably because your view of God is too small. You'll never have the courage to be publicly Christian at work or to tell the truth to your boss or to swim upstream against culture until you realize that your God is bigger than your Pharaoh. That your God's throne is higher and stronger and more enduring than Pharaoh's. And one day Pharaoh is gonna die and be gone. And the Lord God is going to continue to reign forever and ever. Guys, when we learn to trust providence instead of people, it enables us to relate to authority well. Joseph also knew that Yahweh was the giver of all authority. So he didn't abuse his authority or abdicated it, he leveraged it. He used it for the good of others and he used it according to the will of God. And in so doing, he becomes a lens through which we get to look and see the truer and greater Joseph, who is Jesus Christ. The parallels between Joseph and Jesus and their use of authority are really rich. So Joseph was betrayed and he was thrown in prison. Jesus was betrayed and he was hung on a cross. After three years in prison, Joseph was exalted by the king of Egypt. 
After three years in the grave, Jesus was exalted by the king of heaven. Joseph was seated at the right hand of Pharaoh. Jesus is currently seated at the right hand of God on high. Joseph used his authority for the good of others and according to the will of God. Jesus uses his authority for the good of others and according to the will of God. Guys, there's a difference though. Joseph trusted God in the face of death. Jesus trusted God through death. Jesus knew that the will of the Father was to crush him for our sins. He knew the will of the Father was that he would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And he said, I'm willing to submit to your will. And he lived the perfect life that none of us have lived. And he used authority perfectly in every way. And then he submitted himself to the authority of the Father. And he was hung hung on a cross in our place. And Philippians chapter two tells us that because he submitted himself to the will of the Father and became obedient even to the point of death on a cross, the Father has highly exalted him and has given him the name that is above every name and authority that is above all authority. Authority never belongs to us. Rather, it is entrusted to us to be used for the glory of God and the good of others. So don't abuse your authority. Don't abdicate your authority. Don't pander to your pharaohs. But remember that the Lord's dominion is an eternal dominion that his kingdom endures from generation to generation. Accursed is the man who trusts in man who makes flesh his strength, but blessed is the man whose trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. For unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Look at Jesus Christ laying down his authority and picking it up again. And let that give you the courage to use your authority well while you wait for him to return. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I have hope today. And this congregation has hope today because you leverage your authority for our good. Father, would you give us faith? Would you give us courage to do that for those around us? Would you give us faith to be publicly Christian in the places that you've given us to dwell? Would you give us faith to tell the truth even when the truth is hard to say? Would you give us faith to trust your providence and not in people so that we wouldn't live afraid of our pharaohs, but we would live with a godly fear of you so that others might look at us and say, the spirit of God dwells in this person. God, give us faith for all these things. Pray this in Jesus' name.